The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Genesis 2, verse 18 Let us hear the word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature... That was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. May God bless to us his word. It was either Augustine, Luther, or Calvin uh, who, defending the faith, recorded an objector voicing the question, what was God doing before he made the world? Now I will be told soon who it was. And it won't be long, I imagine, before you get to know who it was. The answer that, and I think it sounds more like Augustine and Luther than Calvin, but we'll see. The answer that was given, and please don't laugh. The answer that was given was this. He was making hell for people who ask questions like that. It's a serious point, isn't it? Because there are some questions that are not to be asked. 
Not because there are no answers to them, merely, but because they reveal a bad spirit. A state of mind that would know more than it needs to know. More than it's good for us to know. And the origin of sin in the heavenlies is one of those questions. If God were to answer us, what use would we make of the information? Wouldn't we become proud of the knowledge? And soon we'd be imagining that we wouldn't need what he has provided as an answer to the problem of sin and evil. What we have here is the origin of sin and evil on earth, among human beings. God be praised, we not only have such an account, but we have the gospel promise. So it's more important in God's estimate that you and I have an answer to the fact and the reality and the power and the prevalence of sin than an explanation of its origin in the heavenlies. And given the fact that we have the answer, the remedy, can't we take the rest on trust? Who needs a theodicy? When God provides the remedy, we should fear evil more than become fascinated by it in any shape or form because that is what befits sinners. Now we turn to this account, the opening verses of chapter 3, which informs us how sin entered the world. And you'll see that it entered the world via a conversation. Question. Seemingly innocuous. A reply. And then, finally, the debacle, the disaster, the conclusion that would have been a final conclusion had God not spoken again in the way of promise and mercy. And so here's a conversation about the word of God, about the world of God, the garden. Here is the original battle for the Bible, the original battle for the gospel. Here is the alternative world view to the truth of God. It was a conversation initiated by Satan. He spoke to Eve. Adam had already, we have to assume, been spoken to, I'm sorry, had spoken to Eve about what the Lord God had said to him. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we have the singular pronoun. The Lord God said to Adam, of all the trees of the garden, you, singular, may eat, and so on. 
And Adam, as part of that blessed union and communion with Eve, his wife, God's gift to him when there was no other help meet for him from among all the creatures that God had made, as part of their blessed fellowship and communion, Adam disclosed to her what God had said to him. And they together shared in fellowship with God, peace and dignity of service for him. Their first day, it would seem, of married life, as servants of God, was a day on which he served them. The Sabbath, blessed equally in communion with God and knowing him. The serpent was the one who initiated the conversation. And he did it, as you know, with Eve. To her he spoke. been many suggestions as to why that was so. And, of course, considerable ridicule poured on the very idea that here you've got a talking snake. That surely demonstrates to any reasonable person how ridiculous this whole account is. Well, let's increase the degree of difficulty. It wasn't just a talking snake. It was a thinking snake. It was a hearing snake. How on earth could he have said, if he were merely a snake, has God said? And then proceeded, of course, to rejig the whole thing. In any case, hadn't Adam named the snake? And here is this snake naming God. What's happening? There's something beyond the natural, something beyond the normal, something that Eve should have immediately sniffed, and Adam too, because it seems he was there with her. Later verse in Genesis 3 tells us, God had made it, Adam named it, the serpent couldn't say, I am a snake. And yet here, this serpent impersonates the I am. And you note, doesn't use the term Lord, just the name God. There's an indication that this serpent is not in the same relationship to God as Adam and Eve are. He doesn't belong in the garden of God. He's out of sympathy with the word of God. He's intent on destroying the work of God. And when he spoke to Eve, he didn't use the second person singular. He used the second person plural, referring to the fact that there was someone else beside Eve to whom this word had been directed. Did God actually say, you shall not eat? You, plural? Not just you, but Adam too. And you see from verse 5, is it? With him, with her. No, verse 6. Her husband who was with her. If this narrative is chronologically successive, 
there was a sleeping partner there who should have spoken up Adam himself but here was a conversation initiated about the word of God that should have been stopped dead in its tracks should have been terminated Eve should have immediately talked to Adam or boldly herself because she knew refused to entertain any suggestion on the serpent's part about the word of God contrary to its terms contrary to its intention and we'll have to look at the content of this conversation God willing next time and what its twists and turns but here are three things about it that you can think about what did the serpent what did Satan do he enlarged the prohibition didn't he as God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden but that's what he did he enlarged the prohibition and then he reduced the penalty you shall not surely die and there's a something in that expression that leads to that conclusion but finally he distorted the divine intention God knows and he doesn't want you to be like him those are the facets of the lie enlarge the prohibitions reduce the penalty distort the intention present God as man's foe Satan as man's friend we look at these God willing next time but it was a conversation that should have been stopped dead in its tracks but it wasn't it wasn't stopped by Eve who half succumbed to it by her reply Adam should have spoken up he was there it seems with her the one who had authority to name the one who was the leader the one who was accountable as head the first Adam and it all happened so simply it seems quickly easily and that's because of Satan's power and human frailty which isn't fallenness which isn't sin frailty infirm mutable not yet confirmed permanently and advanced irretrievably in that holy life that was held out in the tree of life by way of promise so there was a conversation initiated that should have been terminated and of course what it tells us is this there's a conversation anticipated here someone else had to come and uphold the truth of God not in the garden of God now but in the fallen world over against the arch foe himself the Lord Jesus Christ the second Adam with the wild beasts not in the garden of God in a fallen world 
not surrounded by all the trees of the garden that he could freely eat. Forty days fasting, hungry, and the devil came to him all over again, only with greater force and power than ever he did or could to Eve and by implication Adam in the garden. If you are the son of God, And you know what happened. And he said what Adam and Eve should have said. Be gone. Out of here. You shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. And he triumphed. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to open up the way back to the tree of life. There was a flaming sword there. His perfect, ongoing, increasing, not holiness, obedience. Day and night throughout the whole of his life. Doing what Adam failed to do was not enough to undo. By itself. That curse of death. He had to die as well as live. The sword of the Almighty's justice had to be wielded against him. And so, submitting willingly to that, out of love to his Father and love to sinners. Sinful sons and daughters of Adam, like you and me, he opened up the way to the tree of life and the paradise of God. Let us pray. Lord, we give thee thanks. Hadst thou terminated human history and the created world that day in Eden, no one could have contested thy perfect justice and righteousness in doing so. How marvelous is thy grace and mercy and how great and rich and free and costly is that salvation from sin and death and condemnation and hell which thou hast provided in Jesus Christ for any and for all who believe. Receive our thanks. Grant us peace and joy in believing in him. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.